Hi, this is Dave Spray. Welcome to the podcast. I just finished a great interview with Paul Liberato. And he, there were a couple things in the interview that were really interesting. One is that he uh, joined this company when he was uh, in his late 20s as the president. And he didn't know anything about the industry. And because of that, he really relied on just learning from his customers. And from that, some of their best ideas came from just listening to their customers. And uh, uh, it was just interesting hearing the story for the last 32 years on some of their best products were situations where their customers came to them with a problem, asking them if they could come up with a solution. And uh, so I think there's some some interesting lessons to be learned about uh, having really strong customer and supplier relationships and how that makes the company stronger in the end. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. And uh, thanks again, as always, for uh, listening to the podcast. Well, my guest today is uh, Paul Liberato, the president of Billy Pew Company. And uh, I've been really excited, uh, looking forward to having Paul on the podcast. And so, Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so, um, so I do this different ways. Sometimes I just read somebody's bio, and sometimes I like to just uh, kind of walk through it. So I decided to take the second approach for the interview today. And partially I did this because I don't know your entire backstory, even though I've known you for you know nearly two decades. Um, so why don't we start at the beginning? Where uh, Are you a native Texan? No, my uh, my father was a Navy fighter pilot, and uh, so we were uh, uh, my my two brothers and I were well. Uh, actually, Frank is one of my brothers. He worked with me at Billy Pugh Company for a while. We'll talk about him a little bit later. And then uh, he was born in Jacksonville, Florida, along with my brother Mark. And then my sister and I were born in Pensacola, Florida, uh, while my dad was um, out on the aircraft carriers. And just depending on which uh, carrier he was on, one of the carrier groups was based out of Jacksonville and one out of Pensacola. And then uh, eventually he actually went out to San Diego. So we were out in California for a while, too. But we moved to Texas when I was, uh, I think, about five years old. And he retired uh, from the Navy and took a job in the aerospace industry. He was a um, uh, safety flight uh, specialist, kind of an aeronautical engineer, but he built uh, safety features onto jet aircraft. Uh, when okay. he got done, so, um, oh, pretty smart guy, a Naval Academy graduate, and and uh, uh, pretty uh, he just he loved he loved the Navy, he loved flying. So anyway, but no, so we we mostly grew up in in Texas, and uh, uh, in what part? What part of Texas? Uh, then? Arlington, right outside yeah. of Fort Worth. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Growing up, it's funny. Nobody ever heard of Arlington, but you know, after the <laughs> Rangers got there, and now the Texas Stadium is everybody knows about Arlington. But when we moved there. In the early '60s, I think it was six or eight thousand people there total. Oh wow! So, yeah, it was a pretty small place. And then I understand that when it came time for time for college, you were drawn west to the the, the Great Plains of West Texas, huh? Yeah, high plains. I, uh, I've always been, you know, really uh, serious about my academics and. Uh, when my brother Mark went to Texas Tech and I saw how many pretty girls were there, I knew that was the place <laughs> for me. And uh, <laughs> so that was kind of when, it, when you're 17, that's kind of the main reason. But no, Tech was a great place. I love I love going there. Um, my youngest son went there. Um, it's just a it's a wonderful school. And there's really you know when you're out in West Texas, there's really nothing else to do. Uh, you know if you're if you go to UT, there's you know you got Austin and you got every all the beautiful hill country around you. A&M kind of the same thing. If you go to Tech, you better like Tech because that's all there is out there. Uh, <laughs> Texas Tech and sure. is high plains and desert. But uh, no, I, I loved it up there. My brother Frank went there. My brother Mark went there, and and um, it's a it's a great place to go to college. That is uh, that's great. And for those people not from Texas, uh, Texas Tech's in Lubbock, Texas, out in uh, West Texas. On the high plains. So you graduated from uh, from Texas Tech. What was your degree in? I uh, I had a, uh, actually I double majored in communications and history, and I had a minor in economics. Okay. And I kept changing because I I, uh, I what I wanted to do was I wanted to be a, a TV sportscaster. So I've always loved sports, and um, I I ended up uh, my last few years I had to put myself through college. 
So I wasn't able to do an internship. And back in those days, and probably still, I don't know, but uh, it was really difficult to get on anywhere if you didn't do an internship. But since I had to work full time as a a bartender and a waiter, I didn't have time to do an internship. So Uh I added added the economics part on the bottom. I thought maybe that would help me get a job. And and, uh, so I graduated from 1982 and uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I just applied around and ended up going to work for a fortune 500 company called deluxe. They, they printed checks for banks. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Great company. They called us little blue. Uh, it was cause we were a lot like IBM. It's just a big a, a blue. Which was big blue. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, they were big blue. We were little blue. And, uh, but it was a great company, man. I learned so much working for deluxe. I worked for so many great people and it was just a first class organization from top to bottom. And I mean, even then I, you know, I, I left there deluxe. I went, started working in 82. I left in 89, but a lot of the stuff that I still incorporate into, into my business and how I operate, I, I learned from deluxe. Just a, that was just a wonderful experience. And, um, so I started with deluxe in in Dallas as a sales trainee. And then I had my first sales territory in Dallas. And then I was there for about a year or two and I got transferred to Seattle, Washington, and, mm-hmm. and took over the major accounts in Seattle uh, for a couple of years. That's where I got married and had my first child, uh, a boy. And then we, uh, uh, I got uh, promoted again into the management group in Los Angeles. We were companies based in Minneapolis, but we had a regional headquarters in L.A. And so I went down and joined the management group in L.A. Um, I was there for a couple of years, and they moved me to San Francisco, where I uh, – uh, was taking care of Bank of America and Wells Fargo for the company, which were our two largest largest customers. And um, and then I got recruited to be uh, West Coast Marketing Vice President for MasterCard. So um, I worked for MasterCard for a while. And all during this, um, I uh, was in communication with a family friend of ours from Corpus Christi. And he was uh, uh, giving me information on a new company this- called Billy Pew Company. I'm sorry. This would be this would be Jimmy Storm, is that Jimmy, right? Yeah, yeah, it sure was. Yeah, with Jimmy Storm, and uh, Mr. Storm uh, was a friend of ours, and he anyway contacted me and said, "Hey, would you be interested in taking a look? A friend of mine is selling this company. He's got a great reputation. They make good products, and I think I can help you put something together." And so I was 29 years old and flew to Corpus Christi and met Billy Pugh, and he said. Very interesting character. Um, great story. I mean, he, there's tons of great stories about Billy Pugh, but he was definitely kind of that old school offshore old guy. And uh, he was, sure. you know, he, he kind of grew up with uh, Red Adair and, and uh, you know, of course, Mr. Storm, um, guys, Gus, Gus Glasscock. I mean, a lot of the pioneers in the offshore oil and gas business, those guys were a different breed. And, and uh, so I had a chance to meet Billy and then, uh, we were able to put together a group of investors, and I sold everything I had, retirement houses, everything, to put my money in. And, and I got there in uh, the summer of 89, and, and we we went live with our management group and uh, taking over the company October 2nd of 1989. I just turned 30. Wow. So, so what, uh, what do you think uh, Mr. Storm saw in you? Given that you didn't have, uh, you know, an oil and gas background, you know, given your relatively young age, you know, still in your twenties, what do you think he saw in you that he thought you'd be the you'd be the right guy for this? You know, it's a it's it's a funny story, but there was actually a specific event. Um, okay, and uh, he he had actually come out to um, to California for a Wildcatters convention in Carmel. And that's we lived in a play area called San Ramon, which is where Chevron's headquartered, um, just yeah. east east of uh, San Francisco, south of uh, of uh, Walnut Creek. Anyway, um, he came out to visit. He spent the night, and and uh, I told him, "Well, I'll just drive you down to um, I'll drive you down to Carmel the next day. It's not that far." So he hopped in the car, and we were driving down and that was back in the days when we used dictaphones. I don't know if you ever saw a dictaphone or not. Yep. But, yep. but uh, so I was, and I was the only guy I knew this was 1988. I actually had a car phone back then and that was a big deal. Um, but it was one of those 
phones that was attached to the floor of your car. And yeah. uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm dictating letters. Um, and of course, this is, you know, these days, it's really not considered a good thing to be multitasking while you're driving. <laughs> but sure. that was before anybody really uh, paid much attention to that. But I was dictating letters, talking on my cell phone, driving the car and talking to him all at the same time. And uh, we pulled up to Carmel and we pulled over and he said, well, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I said, what do you mean? He said, I was watching you do all these things all at the same time and you were doing all doing them all pretty well. And uh, I said, well, I appreciate that. And he said, hey, I'm just curious. He said, have you ever thought about running your own company? You just look like the kind of guy that would be good at that. And I said, man, I think, I think every young person would like an opportunity to work for themselves and be an entrepreneur. And he said, well, if, if I run into the right situation, he said, I'll, I'll let you know. I said, well, that would be great. And I really thought he was just being, you know, polite. And, and he, I don't, for the people uh, that had, have ever met Jimmy Storm, they'll tell you he was one of the kindest people um, you could ever meet and a highly successful guy, very well known, but also one of the kindest and most thoughtful people you'd ever meet. And so anyway, I just thought he was being Mr. Storm, just being a nice guy. And I don't know, maybe a few weeks later, three, four weeks later, he called up and he said, hey, that, remember we talked about that on the car? I said, yeah, he goes, well, um, hop on a plane. I want you to come take a look at something. So uh, I flew down and, and, and Billy Pugh and he picked me up at the airport and we went out and ate barbecue and talked about the offshore oil and gas business, which I knew absolutely zero about. Um, but uh, um, it all worked out. It was, uh, you know, it, it was one of those things that was really funny because a lot of people ask, you know, what, what made you think you would be a success in a business that you didn't know anything about? And um, I think it was, it, like a lot of things, it, it just was really common sense. I mean, you know, how do you treat your customers? How do you mm -hmm. treat your employees? Are you honest? Do you handle your finances conservatively? Do you um, do you do business in an above board manner? A lot of the stuff that I learned from Deluxe. And, and one of the beautiful things about it was my brother, Frank, um, came to work with me. Um, I'm not an operations guy. Frank is very much an operations guy and, and I knew I needed somebody to help me. And so I've been there not quite a year and, and, and hired Frank on. And one of the beautiful things about our relationship was that he felt the same way I did. Um, oh, we really cool. had, you know, growing up in the same household, we kind of had the same value system and, uh, we never, you know, in all the years, I think Frank worked with me for 20, he's retired now, but probably 28 or nine years. And I don't, I don't think we had more than really a half a dozen disagreements. Um, it's just oh, a great. great relationship. And, and like I said, we were, we were always thinking the same and, and, uh, like I said, it turned out to be a great situation for us. That is, uh, that's great. And thank you for that, uh, for that background. And I guess the, the company, Billy Pugh had founded the company about 30 years earlier than that, right? I think in the fifties. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, I'm just about to pass him up. Um, there's only been two presidents of Billy Pugh County, Billy Pugh and me, and he started <laughs> in 57 and, and, uh, to 89, 89. Yeah, 32 years, and then I started in 89, and uh, 2021 will be 32 years. So, um, yeah, I've just about caught up to him. Uh, so, <laughs> it, you know, it, it, but it's been, you know, it's amazing, you know, how fast it's gone. I mean, just I just can't believe that it's been that long. Um, you can do the math on the, you know, I've actually been president of Billy Pugh Company longer yeah, than I've been alive than when you. I took over. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was just going to say. So I guess at some point you're gonna to have to find you a sharp young twenty nine year old to uh, to sell this thing to, I suppose, huh? Yeah, you know, one I guess somebody's got to come over. You know, it's like uh, like Billy told me when I took over. He said, you know, he said a new broom always sweeps clean. You know, and so I guess I was the new broom. You know, and uh, so that's maybe that's what we need. We need a new broom, I guess, around this place. But but uh, you know, we we still got. Um, so I tell you the funny part about our company too, David. You'll get a kick out of this is. Uh, you know, we were having our normal Christmas party this year and, 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 uh, you know, I told everybody, I said, you know, I, I just turned 31 years and, and, uh, so how many people have been here longer than me? And you couldn't believe how many hands went up. I mean, we've, we have so really? many people work for us for, for 30 plus years. We have one individual, um, that's worked for us for, 
uh, well over 50 years, uh, Romero, wow. uh, starting, with, wow. starting when he was 18, he's uh, 73. So he's worked wow. for us for 55, 55 years. Um, we have a lot of people that work for us in the 30s. And uh, so the good news is, you know, we we have a, a lot of wonderful tenured employees. The tough news is they're all kind of like me. They're all kind of getting older. So, um, you know, we're trying to bring people in and the best we can to kind of refreshing, but golly, you know, they, they just continue to do a wonderful job and we're, we're so blessed to have them. Now that is, uh, is great. So, uh, what the heck is an X 904? I was on your website and I saw that, but I couldn't really make heads or tails of it. What the heck is an well, X 904 and what does it do? Well, it pays all the bills. Um, <laughs> okay. it, it, it really, it's, uh, it's an interesting story because when we took over the company, you know, Billy Pugh, um, I have to back up just a little bit to, so I can give you some perspective yeah, on how go the thing got going. Cause there's a, the, the, the next 904 actually has a, has a parent and that's called an X870. And, uh, that was, that parent was born in the, in the fifties and it was, uh, Billy was working as a deckhand, uh, in offshore Corpus Christi and uh, working on a drilling rig called the Mr. Gus. And uh, he saw some guys getting transferred from the boat up to the drilling platform. And they were using a cargo net, if you can imagine. So they took they wow. the crane, they attached the four legs of the cargo net, set it down, and the guys would basically just kind of hang on the best they could onto this cargo net. And they'd pick them up, and then, and then they would untangle themselves, you know, when they got up on deck and when they dropped them down on the boat. And Billy was watching that, and he, he came up to the superintendent. He said, man, that really looks like a dangerous thing to do. Um, I think I've got an idea that will make it safer. And that was before the days of uh, stop work authority, you know, when you could stop jobs. So basically, they just told him to get back to work or go find something right. else to do. And a few days later, they had a horrific accident. I don't remember all the statistics, but I, I know at least a couple of people got killed and uh, and some injuries as well. So. Uh, from the very same uh, uh, activity, exactly. Yeah, they were transferring okay. some guys over, and I think they they uh, they dropped them on the deck, um, and uh, and anyway, it was a fatality accident. So they they went and they found uh, they found Billy and said, "Okay, you were you were telling us the other day about this idea you had. Why don't you go out and 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 show us what you got?" So Billy went home and he made the first personnel transfer device and he called it an x871 and uh, that became really the industry standard until um until the night well actually until about 2008 or 10 and uh and that's that people people used all over the world it's one of those kind of things david it's kind of like uh kind of like a coca-cola or a kleenex tissue or a xerox copy i mean no matter what kind of transfer device you use offshore it's a billy pew and the name I is see. synonymous with, with the activity that it's doing. And so kind of get back to the X904. Um, but hey, Paul, before you, approach, be, before yeah, go you ahead. go there. So the, the predecessor, you're saying that predecessor product was basically used for 50 years, huh? Or 45 years? Yeah. 47 yeah, years. Um, Did it have a patent it, or, or anything? What made yeah, it so... The Pat ran out, I think, in the 80s, Dave. Um, okay. But, you know, we were so well known. And I just don't think those safety guys wanted to be the guy that said, hey, you know, we can save 20% if we use this copy product. And then, you I know, see. and then have accident, you know, so they knew that the industry standard, they knew we built from the best quality products and that, you know, we don't really have any, um, you know, we really are, are, are um, the accident. Uh, rate that we had was so incredibly safe and we really uh you know we've never had a structure related uh accident on one of our products so i um, see there used to be a saying uh, you know a few decades ago in the it world that nobody got fired for buying ibm right <laughs> uh, and it sounds like that was the case with billy pew nobody got fired for buying billy pew products you know what? It's funny you say that because I, I really do. I think that has come up before. I think I've been in meetings where somebody actually used that term and said, you know, you never get fired for buying Billy Pew. So that's funny. Um, I've forgotten about that, actually, but I have heard that. And and, and they've used us in, in that context. So, um, but it was, okay. you know, it was a good product. Um, you know, it worked for years. It was a very safe product. Um, but, 
you know, as things, you know, move along with everything else, you know, people want improvements and they want things that are better. And so we, we got approached by uh, one of the major drillers, which was Diamond Offshore and, and one of the major operators, BP, and, and approached us to say, you know, look, there's some other things coming out of the market right now that uh, have some features that are appealing to us. We really like working with Billy Pugh Company. We really like most of the things around the current product that we use. But, you know, we'd really like to see if you could develop something that uh, would be similar to what we have, but to incorporate some of the safety features that might help to become a better product. So uh, Frank and I immediately got to work on it. We, we, uh, um, we spent a lot of time just talking to people and uh, it was kind of a two pronged approach. Um, we, we, we talked to people from all the major drillers. We talked about major operators. We talked to crane operators, you know, what do you like? What do you not like? Um, you know, do you want to stand up? Do you want to sit down? Do you want to face in? Do you want to face out? Do you want to have a seatbelt on? Do you, I mean, there's mm-hmm. lots of options and, and, and hanging below a crane and getting transferred back and forth. And, and so, uh, one of the things that we did as well, which I, 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 we really found to be helpful is we went back through all the accident data and, and tried to figure out, okay, when accidents did occur and there's not a lot of, them, but there was some, you know, what, what was happening that were, that was creating these problems and these people getting hurt. And really we came up with the three major areas, which was, was people were either falling off where we had, in fact, we had a guy years ago that had a heart attack while he was being transferred and he fell off and uh, thank goodness he survived. But um, we've, we've had people that uh, well, the crane operator, let's say it's really heavy winds and the basket starts to swing. Well, we've, we've had people that there where the crane operator swung the basket into a hard point, like a, like a leg of a rig or a leg of a oh, platform okay. or, or a handrail. And they're riding on the outside of this thing. And then the, the third one, there was a, there was something going on about then in the industry called the drops program, where there was a real emphasis on, on things falling from overhead, landing on people. And so we really didn't have any data that showed anybody had been hurt um, by something falling on them during a personnel transfer. But we knew that the potential was there because you've got all that rigging over your head. So okay. those were the three things that we concentrated on. And what we wanted to do, wanted to create a scenario where it was as similar as possible to the X871 because people love the X871. The guys offshore never wanted to change. They just liked that product. I just had a guy tell me, from one of the rigs and I was talking to a guy from Australia a couple of days ago and just told me, you know, I really like this X-904, but I really miss the old rope baskets because I just enjoyed riding those things. So, I mean, <laughs> it was a great product, but you know, we just, we, you know, we wanted to improve on it and, and, and we did find some areas where we could improve. So we made it as close to, as close to possible. Uh, but we incorporated these additional safety features and what we did, um, the, the, on the old eight, 870 models, they were made out of rope on, on the perimeter. So they had vertical ropes that were collapsible. And so the, the basket would come out on the deck. The guys would stand on, hold on to the ropes and, and uh, ride on the outside of the basket. Well, on this new one, it was very similar, but you would take a kind of a half step in. And the ropes on the outside, even though they look like normal ropes, they're actually stainless steel wire rope encased in a double braid nylon. So you can imagine you're stepping about a half a step in, and then you have these tensioned ropes around you. There's a tensioning device in the center, and it tightens those ropes up. And then if you if you swing into a hard object, would you just bounce off those those ropes behind you? Um, I see. Keep, keep your keep you protected. So you you've got that working for you. And then then we've got um, a grading. Uh, basically an expanded metal grating over the top of you to protect you from falling objects from above, which we didn't have on the 800 series. And then the, the third thing was the, the uh, keeping people from falling out. And that was the trickiest one by far. That was really, really difficult because you don't want to be overly restrained in a personnel transfer. And what I mean by that is if you're, if you're going from a ship up to a platform or vice versa, you really want to be able to step away and, and get to a safe place as soon as possible. Because sometimes, you know, if you're six, eight, 10 foot seas, that deck is pitching around. You don't want to be struggling trying to unhook yourself from something that might be sliding around the deck. So you want to be able to, the thing they loved about that 800 series is that they could just set it down and step away and walk away. 
so what we came up with was a, a quick release carabiner. So if you can imagine, Dave, like, you know, when you jump out of an airplane and you pull the rip cord, well, that's basically yeah. what this is. You don't have to do anything to manipulate. All you have to do is pull. And it's a, it's a spring loaded 5,000 pound carabiner that attaches to the, to the person that's riding the basket. So when they sat down, just as they sat down, they're holding onto these ropes, they pull the carabiner, it pops loose and they step away. So, you know, it might okay. take them an extra, oh, golly, I don't know, maybe 10th of a second or whatever to get off. So it was a good compromise. And, uh, you know, it, it was kind of a funny thing. Uh, when, when we, we, the 904, where the four comes from, it, it, it is, that was the fourth prototype we built. And okay. so we had a 901, a 902, a 903, and a 904. Well, the 904 was being tested on a rig called the Ocean Confidence. And uh, I can't remember where they were operating. It may have been the Gulf of Mexico. We were working with a guy named John Auth, uh, who was the HSC manager back in those days with, with Diamond. And he was critical. A bunch of guys that helped us with in the industry, my gosh. Um, but uh, anyway, John was helping us. And he let us test this thing on the Ocean Confidence. And uh, so we did 100 surveys. And we asked the guys offshore to rate the basket the Dex 904 from a one to a five, five being excellent, four good, and on down, as you know. And so, anyway, I don't know if you have spent much time offshore, but that's probably the toughest group of guys you're ever going to run into. I mean, just physically tough and just tough. Period. They're they're a uh, they're a rough audience if you can. If you mm-hmm. know what I mean? That's just they're, they're sure. uh, you know, That's just you know. It's just that's just the culture out there. So if you can make those guys happy, you've really done something. So we got our surveys back and john called me and he said well, well you know we got our 100 surveys we wanted exactly 100 and i said well how'd we come out he said well you got 75s and 34s and nothing below a four and uh in terms of how they rated it then we gave him a section to to write you know comments on and he said paul they just loved it you know so we um that's when we knew we had something and we went we went live with the program and and diamond was the first one to buy them for all of their fleet and then after that, I think just about every major driller that I'm aware of has them um, now. I mean, you know, we, we probably sell uh, 90% of those overseas. But kind of kind of fun little side story, my brother Frank came up to me, and, you know, Frank was a huge part of the design of this. And, uh, you know, he uh, – let me uh, let me get get to this part of the story, and I'll, I'll back up on the design part. But, but sure. uh, Frank came, and he said, uh, okay, so we got this new 904 – you know, we're finally done. But he goes, how many of these things do you think we'll sell? And I said, man, I, you know, I don't know. I said, man, it'd be great if we could sell like two a month, you know. And, okay. uh, well, you know, as it turns out, you know, that's probably 70% of our business now, or 60 or 70% oh, wow. of our business. Trust me, it's a lot more than two a month. Um, <laughs> and because I just, you know, it was a, it was a paradigm change for the offshore guys. I mean, think about it. I mean, they're used to paying, you know, say, Fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars for an X eight hundred, maybe maybe two thousand, and now they're going to pay eighteen thousand, sixteen thousand, twenty thousand. Oh wow! Um, so you know, but we used what we used to tell them, you know, is, is it's like God, you know, Paul, that's just so much more than what we're used to, and it's okay. So if we if we save one person, if we prevent one accident, you know, how's that how's that investment look to you now? And they said, man, it looks pretty good. <laughs> well, there, there you go, you know. Um, but now, was there know, much? Asked, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I was just going to say. Get... Go ahead. Was there much resistance to the crew to the the nine hundred four versus the eight hundred series? Or yeah, pretty that's quickly. A, that's a great question, man. Yeah, there was a. You know, I tell you, the, the, and the biggest part was that was that restraint system, you know, and we right. call it man positioning because it's really not a fall restraint. Basically, it's just a. It, it, like I said, it's a man positioning system to hold the guy in place so that he doesn't so he doesn't go out of the basket. And and uh, I was I was at an oil show in Lafayette. And my phone rang and the guy said, you know, this is the HSC uh, uh, manager for the rig. I forgot which drilling contractor it was. And we're doing a, uh, a test on the X904. And quite frankly, one of our guys won't get on it. And, and I, said, I don't know how this guy got my number, but he did. He said, well, I, he said, would you mind talking to him? And I said, no, put him on. 
So this guy was coon ass, and I'm not going to – a coon ass is a word that people use offshore for people from yeah. Louisiana. It's not, right. not a derogatory term for people right. who aren't familiar with so We'll call him a Cajun. Okay, so okay. This, this, uh, this Cajun says uh, – he says, Mr. Liberato, I'm not riding in no crab trap. And uh, I said, what did you say? He said, he, he said, it looks like a crab trap to me. And I said, well, <laughs> it's, it's not. He said, I like the old ones. Why did you have to change? And I said, well – just try it. I said, just let them pick you up and try it. And I said, if you don't like it, you don't, you don't have to do it anymore. I said, because I knew he'd like it. And I said, just try it. And then if you, if, if you have a problem, call me back. So anyway, I never heard back. So I'm assuming everything went fine and they ended up, you know, buying the product, but I just thought it was, that was the funniest thing when the guy, you know, in that very, very heavy Cajun accent told me he didn't want to ride in a crab trap. <laughs> but, uh, so, but, so how long did it take? Was it like, Six months or a year before the the guys who who initially didn't like it because of the restraint that they kind of of uh, warmed up to the idea or or no did you know the old what, timers honestly, never warm up to it no you know what honestly I, I, man we had for for a big a change as it was uh, we had very little resistance I mean it was you know we we did a lot of surveys even after we even after we went live. Um, with the product, you know, we still had to get these other companies on board. And so I just kept the same surveys that I used when we were developing it. And mm -hmm. we got so many positive comments. I mean, so many positive comments. And it was just, you know, the X904 is the best thing in the world for what it's designed to do. It just is, you know. And mm -hmm. and so the pushback was was unbelievable in terms of how minimal it was. And the reason okay. why, and that's kind of what I was going to get at a second ago, the reason why is, is that we've been asked a million times, my brother and I, you know, how did you guys come up with this? You know, that was really something. And, and we really, we kind of did, and we kind of didn't. What we did is we're just good listeners. Um, we spent two years researching and developing this thing, two years. And we talked to literally probably a thousand people. And it was hundreds and hundreds. And I bet it was a thousand people. Um, I would have, uh, I would have. Uh, luncheons, you know, for the drilling contractors. And we just talk, you know, bring the crane operators in, bring the, the rig hands in, bring the roustabouts, roughnecks, and just say, what do you like? What do you not like? What do you want? And we learned so much from that. And then in the, when we started building the prototypes, that really helped because we take those and we would test them. And then they would come back and say, look, I didn't like this. I did like this. And so basically, yeah, I mean, we did design the thing, but, you know, we, we literally had a thousand people helping us. So I, I think that's why the pushback gotcha. was so minimal is because we didn't rush to get it to market. And we really spent a lot of time making sure that it was exactly what was needed for the application that it was going to be used for. Okay. Well, yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's kind of a novel idea, right? To, to ask your customer what they want and then give it to them as opposed to uh, <laughs> just building something and, and then try to convince them to buy it. Um. Okay, so uh, and that was what year did that come out? You know, it was probably about two thousand and probably eight, maybe six or eight. I have to go back and look. So it's 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 been around a while, um, but it's it makes up you know obviously the majority of our business now, and and uh, it, you know it's just been a it's been a wonderful product. I mean, one of the one of the beautiful things about Billy Pew Company. And I, I can't take credit for this. It, it was like that when I got there is that because we have the reputation that we have in the industry that we serve, um, people approach us on a regular basis with, with they have a problem, whether it's, a, you know, they had a potential accident or they did have an accident or they just need something that works a little bit better. Uh, we'll get a phone call and, and uh, we'll be approached by uh, either a driller, an operator, boat company and say, look, you know, we had this happen. You know, do you think you guys could have a maybe a product-based solution that that might prevent this from happening, or just create a safer situation for us? Um, you know, we had something funny happen um, years ago, and it was you know we were fortunate we had a few things like this come up where we just kind of backed into something really good. Where uh, when I took over the company, Billy told me he said, you know, Paul, don't ever attach a tagline to a personnel basket. And a tagline, if you're familiar with the term, it's just something that that you attach to any kind of a load below a crane and it helps you just guide it in. It's like a rope hanging off the bottom. And then okay. if you've got 
say a big basket full of something and then the, the you've got a, a person down on the deck whether it's the deck of a platform or even on on land and the rope will come down then they'll grab the rope and then they'll guide they'll guide okay. the load down to the proper area that they wanted well billy told me he said don't ever attach one of those to a personnel basket and i said why not he said well because that's where a lot of the accidents happen and we don't want to be associated with that and, uh. and i thought okay so after frank got there you know, he and I got talking about it and we we're like, you know, that doesn't make any sense to us because if they're going to attach a rope to it uh, anyway, then we're still, you know, we're, we've got a potential hazard out there. So let's try to figure something out that'll work better. So we, uh, we ended up, we came up with this, it's called a tangle resistant tagline. And basically what it does is, is that it, it, the way that it's designed, it, it, it won't wrap around anything and it won't catch on anything. So th those were the two major concerns is that as your load comes down, that rope would wrap around like a handrail or anything as it was swinging around in all the wind. And then, then you've got a real problem on your hands or right. it would catch you in a pinch point where what happens when people have a rope that's frayed at the bottom, they tie a knot in it. So now oh, this thing's right. got a knot on the end of it. Well, then it's running across the deck and that knot hangs into something. And then you've got a problem there with a crane operator. He may not see it. And yeah. the next thing you know, you know, he's got a tremendous amount of tension on that load and, and it can create a, you know, can create a real problem. Um, so we created this, this tangle resistant tagline. Well, what the funny part was is that when we built it, we just built it to, to attach to personnel nets. And uh, there was a fellow that worked for Noble Drilling, uh, their HSE manager years ago. And he said, you know, Paul, um, he's still a close friend of mine, by the way. Anyway, he said, uh, you know, why not use that on every load you have? Not just personnel baskets. You know, we were kind of looking at the trees and not the forest. And well, it went from us selling, you know, a few hundred of these things to thousands and thousands of them because people were attaching them to every load, whether it had a personnel basket or you know, anything that they were carrying below sure. the train. And so, you know, we, we, we started out with this, we think thinking this was going to be a really a small product and ended up being one of the, the best things that we were selling in terms of volume. It was, it was really pretty amazing. And like I said, we, we certainly didn't anticipate that. That is a great story, but by the way, what makes it tangle resistant? What we, what we do, um, I try to describe it the best I can where it makes sense, but we'll take a regular three strand rope, just like you see it, you know, anywhere. And we take um, and we, we we stretch it out where it, can, it becomes very tight, and then we take another rope, smaller diameter, and and we wrap it extremely tight. Where the, the imagine that rope, that three strand rope that you got tight, and it's and it's making a circle. Okay, I mean it's going in circles. You know, mm -hmm. we would attach it to an electric motor, and then we would take another rope and we would wrap that rope on there horizontally. So like like yep. you like like you were putting. Uh, line on a fishing reel, basically. Yep, okay. Yep. So, so we, we run that thing with those coils right next to each other, super tight, all the way down the, the whole length of that rope. Okay. So then we, we terminate at the end where, where we, we could, with something called servet, which is a term that we use for rope where there's no, there's no knot where, where it terminates at the end, it's served. So it's just, a, there's no place. Uh, at the bottom, where there's anything sticking out or lumpy that can catch, so we serve it. Then we dip it in, in, in a hardener and a UV protector and a urethane. Okay, so basically, if you can imagine this now, so you've got this rope with, with a, a center rope with all the, with this other rope attached to the outside of it, wrapped around the outside of it. So when it when the rope when it strikes something, the tighter the diameter gets, the the more those those horizontal ropes resist turning on each I other, see. if that makes sense. So the inside yep. diameter is basically going to keep that rope from wrapping on anything. It just physically won't do it. Um, I those, see. The, the rope that's wrapped around it, the, the tighter you pull on it to, to try to make it, to try to make it a circle, the more it fights you to make it, that, to making that circle. So, and then in terms of the, of uh, the that's the the uh, uh, tangle resistant part, and then the snag resistant part is the fact that we we dip it and then we serve it. So there's really no way for somebody to tie a knot on the end of it or for the, anything sticking out that could catch on something. So the two major areas that are a problem are again wrapping and snagging, and the rope won't do either one of them. Gotcha. So it's the 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 best of both worlds because it's it sounds like it's you know sort of rigid enough. 
that it's that right so i'm guessing there's also a little more rigidness too than a regular rope right yeah and it, and it's it's got a little bit more weight to it as well which is nice because if you're working offshore in any windy area you know if you can imagine what a, a small down the rope looks like it looks like a snake whipping around there right, and right. this thing doesn't do that you know it it's it's pretty stable you don't want to make them too heavy but but a little bit heavy and a little bit stiff is a wonderful thing when you're working in high winds like that yeah uh, so, i can imagine yeah so it, it's been it's been it's really like i said I, it's it's almost comical that particular product because we really didn't it was that was something that was just going to be a little specialty product for our personnel nets and it turned out to be something that we just you know we really had a lot of success with but it sounds like the genesis of it was like some like the uh, x904 that you had a customer who had a problem who sought your help and rather than just blowing them off you uh you were committed to to serving them and trying to help them and it, and you uh, were rewarded unexpectedly with this larger market for it does that about summarize it yeah, it does. And I, and I think part of the uh, advantage that my brother and I had going in is since we didn't know anything, um, you know, we, right. you know, we, we knew again, you know, we knew enough to where we feel as though we could, we could run the business on a day-to-day basis, just running it, you know, just do the right thing. But because we were always learning, we were always listening and we were always using the people in the industry to help us. And they, and they're, they were very willing to help us. Um, you know, our, our, my brother used to say, Frank, so, you know, our learning curve is, is, is uh, pretty much vertical. And, uh, and it was, but, but, you know, we went from, you know, 1989, um, not knowing much of anything to, you know, the last several years, you know, being considered kind of an industry expert. So, um, but, you know, we had the, the hands on, we had the hands on, uh, education and, and the opportunity to work with, Golly, just about every every operator and contractor I can think of, you know. I mean, they've just the great thing about offshore oil and gas is, amongst other things, is that people are always willing to help each other. It's not one of those things where people keep their secrets, you know, close to the vest, or you know, one one driller has an advantage, you know, because they're a little bit safer, so they don't want anybody. No, they don't want that. They want everybody to be safe, and it's they they want to share information to just make a better industry in general. And I just think that's unusual. Um, I don't know how many other industries are like that, but they really do. Um, they meet, they take care of each other, they share information. And that's been a real bonus for us too, because, you know, we'll be working a lot of times with a product with, with a variety of, of companies and, and they're all very open um, into helping us and providing resources, you know, because when we're developing new product and we've got to go offshore. I remember years ago when we were doing the kind of four, um, I don't think this would happen now because this was, you know, this was uh many years ago, but uh, uh, BP actually gave me a, a helicopter and flew me around all over the Gulf one day. I had my own helicopter um, <laughs> just so that I could, I could go, uh, you know, check on and see how everything was working with, uh, with the new 904s that were out on, out on their platforms. And they literally, I had, when I showed up to the shore base, the pilot was in there drinking coffee. And I said, well, you know, when do we leave? He said, whenever you want to. I said, where, where's everybody else? He said, it's just me and you today, bud. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think those days are, we still have those days, but it was sure a lot of fun. And I, I had a blast that day flying around the Gulf of Mexico in my own helicopter. Uh, sure. So it was great. So, um, so the, the 31 year, 32 years uh, now, that you've uh, you've been at the company is it just all been smooth sailing just one uh, great uh, success story after <laughs> another or did you guys have some challenges well you know when you're in, in oil and gas especially in offshore oil and gas you know it's it's a it's a bumpy ride and you know because this, of the cyclical because of the cyclical nature yeah it's 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 been tough this last really starting about last uh, April has been the most difficult time in our whole company's history. And, you know, we, uh, we've managed uh, to get through it. We managed to stay financially strong through it, but, but uh, you know, we thought we had been through some tough downturns, but, but I've talked to a lot of guys that are old enough to have been around during the, the downturn in the, in the eighties, uh, you know, the early mid eighties. And they yeah. said, this was much worse. You know, this one was much worse. And, uh, I mean, to give you an idea, I mean, I, I talked to somebody the other day and they were telling me that, that in the Gulf of Mexico, there's like two or three drilling rigs working now. I mean, back in the early nineties would be hundred, 120. Um, wow. and, uh, so it's, 
it's just been extremely tough. And it's kind of a double-edged sword right now, too, because not only, you know, with the commodity prices down, but with, you know, being oil and gas, but but uh, with COVID, you know, people weren't able to even do regular maintenance, you know, plug and abandonment stuff, pipeline stuff, you know, just upkeeping their, their equipment. I, I mean, see. it's just, it's really difficult. So it's been tough. I mean, we're starting to see, uh, a little bit of a crack in the ice in terms of, of, of activity. I mean, we're probably, um, busier now than we've been. Well, I know we are since COVID started, but, but, uh, it's been, it's been tough. I mean, we, you know, we went through some downturns in the early nineties. Um, we've probably been through three or four, um, you know, thank goodness, you know, we've, we've been able to weather all of them and, and, uh, but you know, if there's been, that's probably been the single largest challenge for us. It's just, you know, it's frustrating sometimes when, you know, we really feel like we do a good job and we, you know, we build wonderful products and we take a ton of pride in what we do. Um, and, but it doesn't matter if, if people aren't, you know, people aren't, you know, working offshore, they're not drilling wells and producing wells and, and uh, working on ships. Um, then we don't have anything to do. It doesn't matter what a great job we do or what great products we manufacture. If nobody's using them, you know, they don't need them. Sure. So that's 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 probably been in fact it's it most certainly has been the most frustrating part. Um the the wonderful part about it though is that you know the core group of employees that we have has stayed with us. Um you know, and we're just like I said, we're we're so fortunate to have them and and uh they've stuck through it, you know, stuck with us through on all of this and then it hasn't been it hasn't been easy on anybody, including you know, and me or them. But but uh, again, like I said, I you know I we we managed to get through it, uh, you know, pretty much unscathed, I'd say, and then uh, um, and then uh, we're starting to see a little bit of increase in activity. So we're thankful for that. Yeah. So I've got a, a question. So uh, you know, Warren Buffett was once asked, you know, how he was able to be successful in spite of the fact that you know he was not in New York. And he mm-hmm. asserted that he was successful because he wasn't in New York. He he had more time to think and there was just less going on. And it just struck me kind of a similar thing that uh, is it been a, an advantage or a disadvantage all in all being in Corpus versus, say, you know, being in Houston? You know, I, I think it's, it's probably been a little bit of both. And, 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 and what I mean by that is like from a, you know, uh, customer um, access, uh, obviously Corpus Christi is not the, uh, is not the center point of the world for offshore oil and gas. And, uh, so it's been a little bit of a disadvantage. I know from, um, in 1996, I actually moved to Houston and, uh, just to get closer to our customers. And then, then Frank pretty much took care of everything that was going on at the factory. Um, but so I, I think from that standpoint, there would have been some some real benefits to, to being local and, and to be able to not only just to have, have that local accessibility, but also to be able to show the customers what we do. We love having people come into our factory. I mean, that's one of the best things because I think once they see how well organized and clean and what great attitudes our employees have and how much pride we take, I think it makes them feel better about the relationship. But, but the advantage to being in Corpus Christi, I believe is, is we just have such an amazing workforce down there. I mean, the, it, it's just culturally, um, you don't have the movement. I think that you have in big cities, um, the people down there, they, they get a good job with employee employers that take care of them and, uh, and they just stay, you know, they're happy. And, and, uh, you know, it's a kind of a small town. I mean, Corpus is a relatively big city, but it has really a small town attitude. And I just don't know that, that we could have operated, uh, with the kind of um, quality employee on a consistent basis anywhere else other than Corpus Christi. It's just a, it's a wonderful place to operate a business, especially a business like ours. So um, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't change a thing. I would, I would definitely stay in Corpus Christi. Okay. And how did it end up in Corpus? Is that just where Billy Pugh lived? Yeah. Billy, Billy was from there. And, and okay. strangely enough, that, uh, that drilling rig, <laughs> Excuse me. The uh, uh, the Mister Gus uh, was was working, uh, I think, off of Port Aransas, or I mean, right there. Uh, so, uh, just strangely enough, that's kind of where the the whole personnel transfer device 
industry started was in Corpus Christi, just coincidentally, and Billy was from there. And and uh, so he, he started up uh, on a little place up on the L head, if you know much about Corpus, right there on the water. And then we moved over to a, um, a little factory right on Water Street that used to be the postal uh, center where they all they brought in all the bulk mail and uh, and then about uh, 10 years ago uh, Frank and I went over and bought some land over by the airport and and uh, we built a purpose-built facility over there we have three buildings right there uh, about two miles from the airport specifically for building Billy P products so that's been a real nice change for us it's a it's a nice complex okay well um uh... As we're kind of uh, rounding the home stretch of uh, the interview, um, how uh, how do you decide what to do in house and what to outsource? So, for example, like I know that like the wire rope you use, or at least some of it, I think you actually procure that from uh, another customer of ours. Uh, yeah, and, no, and we, we work with uh, we work with a couple of companies there locally. Uh, one is called Kennedy Wire Rope. And one is called Industrial Fabricators, and and they've, you know, when you talk about a classic sales uh, situation, I think both of them are classic sales situations that you want to, as the salesperson, that's where you want to be in the middle of. And what I mean by that is that those two companies have literally integrated themselves into our production process. Um, I mean, we can't, we literally can't do without them. I mean, they're just, they're such an important part of our business and such an important partner. Um, now Kennedy wire rope for the testing that we do, you know, we have to do a lot of testing on our products. I mean, I mean, we're a little company down there in Corpus Christi, but you know, we're ABS type approved or ISO 9000 approved. Um, you know, we have people coming in and auditing us on a regular basis, uh, whether, you know, get someone from overseas that maybe has an order going to India or Malaysia or Indonesia, they may want to come in and send an outside inspector in. So, you know, we have to do a lot of testing. And um, Kennedy provides that that uh, that testing for us. They provide quality products for us. There, when we have something that is a special need or a special new product, where we need someone to work with us to design, you know, in terms of working loads, um, they're just a. They really are. They're like a sister company to us. And Industrial Fab, the same thing. Um, we do a lot of our own welding, but some of the welding that we do is much more technical on our products. And mm-hmm. uh, so. Uh, as a, for instance, the, the aluminum weld in the X904 is, is very technical. Um, and the, the quality standards have to be absolutely 100%. So we, uh, we actually subcontract it, our, our, our welding on, on some of that more difficult stuff, uh, to them because that's what they do. I mean, we're a, we're a manufacturer assembler, whereas they are strictly a company that, that does that type of work and, and the quality that they give us is, is incredible. So, um, those are really the two main uh, companies that we that we subcontract to. Um, we do, you know, obviously we do um, all the assembly in house, but but component parts, um, you know, we're really tied at the hip with both of those companies, and they do an incredible job for us. Yeah, that's always interesting because you like contrast that with like Elon Musk at Tesla where he's trying to vertically integrate as much as he can. And, you know, Henry Ford, that was his whole thing was to try to be as vertically integrated. And, uh, but I know that, you know, starting, you know, 20 years ago or so, there was a new theory that sort of evolved of, you know, focus on what you do best and uh, you know, outsource the rest. Uh, so it's, it kind of sounds like you subscribe to that, that second uh, mindset of uh, well, what it does. I mean, if we do really well. Yeah. I mean, if we had, you know, if we had um, uh, the expertise that those guys have, and we wanted to to, to invest that kind of money, um, then then we probably would vertically integrate. But because they're right there, uh, they provide such good service and quality. Um, and uh, uh, from a uh, investment standpoint, it's just much more economical for us to to work with those guys and have them subcontract those component parts. You know, they do, they don't do any finished parts for us, but they do such a wonderful job on the component parts. Um, they're right in the middle of our of our QAQC program, um, and uh, so it's just it's just been a uh, it's been a great relationship. Um, okay. So, 
And uh, I know that, uh, and I know you outsource some other uh, specialty services. Like, you know, I know we've done some, you know, worked on some different tax projects for you guys. Uh, how yeah, do you decide? I, you know, how do you, how do you decide on on you know when to do that kind of stuff in house, or have your CPA firm do it, or, or outsource it to someone like us? Well, I tell you, I I uh, I, I do want to. I do want to go on, go public with how uh, how pleased we've been, you know, working with you guys on our IC disc program. Um, you know, I don't know, Dave, how many years you and I talked about it, but you know, we used to. I know we used to meet up at OTC, and and uh, you know, you would tell me about this IC disc program, and I, I think something changed in the law or something that made it. I don't remember all that stuff, but that made it more, um, you know, relative to a company like ours. Uh, was it, was there a law change or something? What, what changed that where we got going on this? Was it just me making a decision or was it something that actually happened? I, I, I think, I think what it was, there was a predecessor program that, uh, went away in 2006 and, uh, that program was really easy and the disc was just way more, there was way more complexity to it. And I think, that when you were co- comparing the disc to the old program, it just seemed so uh, uh, complex that I think it just created some uh, some resistance, and uh, uh, and so I think that's just what it was. It was just you know you guys had a lot of other stuff going on, and on the surface it just seemed so complicated. But well, you, you, know, you should have, you should have been more aggressive with us, you know, <laughs> <laughs> because. Because it, you know, once we got once we got going, um, you know, it was a, it, we saved a tremendous amount of money, and uh, you know, being a small U.S. based company that exports most of our equipment, you know, it was a, uh, you know, it, to to not take advantage of that uh, would not have made any sense, and we're just, you know, like I said, it was a very very successful program, and and uh, in terms of outsourcing other stuff it just kind of depends you know we you know we have a cpa firm um that that uh we worked with for many years and they do a great job and so we do we just you know we kind of believe in like you said earlier you know we we kind of like bringing in people that are experts in their field and uh finding the very best one that makes a fit with us and then and then utilizing the products and services and then we we really believe in the relationship part of it as well you know once we develop relationships we try to keep them for a long time and and just about well everybody that i'm you know whether it's you or our cpa which is austin adamson or kennedy wire rope or i mean we've done business with all those people for many 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 years and and uh you know they just they just provide great products and services and and uh you know like i said uh, the relationship is a big part of that well, i know for me it's it's a lot more fun doing business that way where uh you know where you're not just uh you know beating up you know so i've always looked at it as i i view our our suppliers as just as important as our customers and uh you know as far as those relationships because you need both to be uh, yep. successful so i can uh, i can appreciate that well can you believe that we're almost an hour in no. Well, you told me you told me it was going to go fast, and it did. I, I've got notes here. I didn't even get to half of this stuff. I know. But, uh, we may have to have you on for uh, for a round two then. Uh, well, so I, I guess as well, yeah. Well, I appreciate you, uh, you 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 taking time to to be on the podcast. Was there anything uh, uh, that uh, I didn't ask you that you wish I'd asked you? Well, you know, we're just quickly. You know, we're real proud of the fact that we. You know, this goes back before I got there, but it's still attached to Billy Pew Company. And you know, we designed the rescue system for the Apollo missions. And so if you watch any of those old Apollo movies, you know, about um, I think the ones Tom Hanks and all those guys were in, uh, where they, uh, when the uh, capsule dropped into the ocean, they actually dropped a Billy Pew Company um helicopter rescue basket down there to pick up the astronauts. And the one that uh, was used for the Apollo uh, moon missions uh, is in the Smithsonian. So is we're a really? little company down there in Corpus Christi. Yeah, but we've got our own little display, uh, purpose-built display by the Smithsonian that has our, um, it's called an X-872SF helicopter rescue device um, in there. So, uh, so yeah, we're really proud of that. And, and the fact that we're, our company's in the offshore oil and gas hall of fame in Galveston, we, 
you know, we'll probably, if you go down there and you want to see a drilling rig, you walk in the front door and there's a first thing you see is a Billy Pugh Company X904 right in the front door. So, um, but well, uh, you, know, you mentioned that. Well, thanks. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those things and, you know, we've, we've developed a lot of other products, uh, maybe not as as financially successful as the X904, but certainly things that have created a safer work environment for the offshore oil and gas business. And and uh, like I said, we just feel real blessed to have the relationships that we do and the trust of the industry. So uh, it's been a, it's been a great 31 years and coming up on 32 years and, and uh, hopefully we'll have 32 more good ones. Well, I, uh, I hope so. Well, Paul, well, just on a more personal note, I just really wanted to thank you for the, the giving us the opportunity to help you all for the last uh, 15 years or so. And, uh, and also just want to thank you for your, your friendship too. You've been, uh, uh, become, you know, really one of my, my favorite, uh, uh, people. So I, I just want to thank you for that. Well, well thanks, David. Feelings mutual. And, and I appreciate you having me, uh, be a part of your, your podcast it means a lot. Thank you. All right. Well, with that, we will wrap up and, uh, Paul, I hope you have a great afternoon. Great. You do the same. Thanks, Dave. Take care. All right. Bye. There we have it. Another great episode. Thanks for listening in. If you want to continue the conversation, go to icdiscshow.com. That's ic-discshow.com. And we have additional information on the podcast, archived episodes, as well as a button to be a guest. So if you'd like to be a guest, go select that and fill out the information. And we'd love to have you on the show. So that's it. We'll be back next time with another episode of the IC Disc Show.